Is it on? I want to leave you with nice sounds. So. Now, I know it finishes at 4, so remember last Sunday, two weeks ago, we finished at 4.40. Nobody was moving until I realized it was, oh my God, 20 past 4. So feel free to leave when you, whenever you want to leave, okay? After 4, so we don't disturb the format kind of thing, yeah? So, this is a time for questions. And feel free to ask questions. Don't think that you'll be, uh, you know, fearing, you, you f might fear to ask question you consider stupid or not interesting. Don't ever believe your mind whilst you're in this room right now. It's called meditation. Not believing your mind is called meditation. <laughs> you just listen to it. And then if you're interested in one particular thought, you can pick it up and then use it. Okay, please go ahead. The five hindrances. The four of them, yes. It's um, <coughs> sense desires, yeah. anger, uh, restlessness and worry. It's funny, it's, it's, it can be translated in other way. And then you have uh, sort of sleepiness and dullness, sloth and torpor be more specific. And then the last one is doubt. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ajahn Sundara. I have got two very brief points. One is, in Sinhalese, there is a very interesting term which is parallel to Nibbana, which is used, which is called Nivima, which means cooling down. That's right. I tend to relate to that interpretation or that explanation of Nibbana because so many books have been written about Nibbana that it tends to be very confusing as to what exactly it is. Although you need to go to the suttas to find out what the Buddha has said. Yeah. The second thing which, second point which I'd like to just highlight concerns conditioning and unconditioning. I find it, I am concerned about the use of the term unconditioned and I wonder whether it is the English term unconditioned is a good in translation because there is nothing that I find that could be unconditioned because the Buddha even after becoming an arahant, was subject to conditions. And yeah. he became old and then passed away. Mm. 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 
Well, conditioned has uh, several synonyms to it. Uncreated, unformed, unoriginated, unborn. The unborn, you know, it's like the, the mind that is not born is the unconditioned mind. Now, this is not easy to maybe realize intellectually, it's not so easy to understand. It's Nibbana, in other words, you know. So, um, you know, uh, condition means it's dependent on conditions, it's dependent on other things, right? That's all. I mean, I just take it like that myself. And condition is independent of anything. It's totally independent. Of, okay, the unmoving. Nibbana is the unconditioned. It's the uncreated. It's the unoriginated. It doesn't, you know, so the, you can just take those words, which are pretty kind of, uh, uh, you know, difficult to understand on the kind of experiential level, but they still speak for themselves. And if you don't meditate, maybe you don't uh, get what is, you know, you, you would understand better if you knew what is created and originated and born. Every time you see the birth in your mind of thoughts, feelings, perceptions, stories, blah, blah, you know, ideas, view, opinions, uh, anything, uh, images, and so on. That's the conditioned world. You know, you, li you look at that, you look at the birth world, right? And you don't need to think, uh, you know, you just need to, you just need to, what I mean, you don't need to think about the unconditioned because really it's beyond the thought, you know, in some level. It's not, it, it's a, that's why it's so difficult to define uh, Nibbana because it's really not something that the mind can conceptually know. But as you pointed out, you know, Nibbana has also another, you know, way of speaking of Nibbana is kind of, uh, just like the, the Buddha makes, uh, you know, gives us a simile of, uh, you know, fire, when the fire is gone out, you know, do we know where it's gone? It's just gone out, and it's finished, right? Until you light another, maybe the, f and unless there's some more wood, and you can light a, uh, you know, match, and get it started again, that's birth, okay? But when there's no condition to light it again, that's also an image given to, um, you know, a, re a representation of Nibbana, defining Nibbana, the fire gone out. And uh, in the teaching, the Buddha says very clearly that, um, uh, you know, that I, um, there's a fire, what I call the fire sermon, which we chant very often here. It's, you know, Buddha is saying, everything is on fire. He was talking to a group of fire worshippers. So he used, a, he used a, the theme of fire because that was, they were very uh, familiar with this uh, worshipping fire. And so um, he said, you know, the, the eyes are on fire, the, uh, the, the, the uh, sort of visual objects are on fire, the consciousness is on fire, and he went through the six senses, you know. So the whole thing is on fire. And so Nibbana is cooling down this fire of greed, hate, and illusion that courses through the mind, through the eye, you know, through the consciousness, the visual consciousness, auditive consciousness, gustative consciousness, olfactive consciousness, and... Uh, physical, you know, the body consciousness and the mind consciousness, yeah? So the fire can go out through this practice of understanding the suffering of the fire and letting go of that fire. It's not a fire which is so easy to, 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 to pin down because it's a fire that's so part of us that we never know exactly where it is and we don't even think we are fiery we might think we're quite cool when we are not. 
The only way you know your authority is when somebody challenges your views and opinions or your you know, tacit understanding about things with yourself, you know, you, you start uh, getting heated up, you know, start, things start moving, you know, start, you know, kind of pressure in the heart and, uh, you know, you can see the mind bubbling with something and uh, maybe you start kind of bur burting out some nasty words to the person who has been challenging you. So be careful, that's a fire. You don't have to have an intellectual, you know, a deep kind of up, um, you know, elevated understanding of this concept, you know. You can, the Buddha is interested for us to realize it in our daily life, not in a kind of metaphysical form, right? Just what is it in your daily life? Yes, there are many wonderful ideas, many wonderful concepts, many wonderful ideals, you know. But at some point, once you know what it is, who cares about the concept at some level? The concept is only useful when you still, when you're not yet uh, seen it clearly. So the concepts are very useful at the, at the, until the level where you actually you know what this concept is pointing to. So, and it's not something you don't have to be a, a special kind of a high being to know these things. You know, you can just see yourself how much heat is generated in your mind and body through life experience and situation that you face every day. Are you angry? Are you upset? Are you impatient? Are you resentful? Yeah, that's the heat. That's the heat of the mind. And then you have to see this with a mind that is relaxed and at ease, like a kind observer, a, a, you know, a, a patient observer. So that's an aspect of practice that it takes a while before we continue to think we should get rid of ourselves to be really peaceful. You know, for a long, long time we think like we have to get rid of things. We just know two ways, get rid of cling. The third way is just having the confidence to walk the path of mindfulness, you know, having trust in the path of seeing things, on, seeing things as they are, and letting the wisdom that comes out of this mindful way percolate and inform you. Also, when you stop letting go, it's not the object of the mind disappear, but they become clearly impermanent and satisfactory and not me, not mine. Not mine. Okay? So you are free from these objects, and when other people present the same tendencies, you also let them free themselves, you know, you don't have to feel they should be different all the time to please your old way would mean that maybe your identification to a certain things, certain way of thinking maybe, and they change their way of thinking, and you have a hard time accepting it hard time just making peace with it, and making peace doesn't mean like you you know, you abandon and give up on on what you think about them, it's more you, you begin to practice the Dhamma. I mean, the practicing the Dhamma, you begin to see your mind rather than trying to redo the world so that your mind finds peace. It's a mature path, you know? Trying to redo the world, you know? Wanting the world a certain way so that your feeling of pleasant feeling will be, just be able to manifest. That's why it's, you could call it kind of you know we call it selfishness or we call it 
ego, you know, ego kind of view or desire, egoic desires. But um, that's the, that's the way we are conditioned. We're talking about condition, you know, we're conditioned by these things. That's how the conditioned world, conditioned by greed, conditioned by hatred, conditioned. The unconditioned is when those things begin to fade away. At first, we they fade away in the sense that you can, you have the mindfulness enough mindfulness to see this maybe this greed from in yourself or other people, but you you know that you don't need to kill it. You don't need to. It doesn't work. If you want to push it away, it will bounce back like an elastic band, you know. So you need to understand its nature and ask, what is it that condition in there? What is this condition? You know, and then you begin to you begin to see that maybe the way to deal with it is not getting rid of it, is not hating it, or just having any movement of the mind about it. It's just noticing that if you stay with it long enough, with patience and mindfulness, it changes. I mean, just that much is a good step. So if it changes, what is left of your mind? And then you can bring it back, maybe. You can, uh, you know, little by little, these thoughts, when they come back, you can see them. They can inform you about life or something, you know, do you want to, to think about but you're not stuck in you're not stuck by them. You're not you're not imprisoned by those thinking. Your mind can smile at them. Even if the whole world is agree with me, so we are, so what? You know, I don't have to go to war with everybody. Maybe I am you know, I, I can actually independently look at this and find out myself whether it's attached or not attached. You know, what is it? Is it insubstantial or substantial? Is it impermanent, impermanent? Is it dukkha, not dukkha? You can find that by yourself. You don't need to be, you know, you don't need tons of books to know that. You just have to read your own, your, your own life in there. Because the intellect is treacherous, you know. The intellect its made up of lots of thought and thinking. It, it makes you clever all the time. It can make you, you know, it keeps on this sense of cleverness. I'm so special, I can think. You know. And it's good. I mean, to have a good thinking mind is, is an excellent instrument. It's an instrument, you understand. But if you just depend on that, then you're easily, you will be, you know, the, the, the conceit. It's, it's the mind just kind of conceiving itself. So you have to be cautious with that. Thank you, Venerable. Um, I just wanted to ask you talking about Nirvana today. Um, as a Christian, I also sort of uh, loosely translate it as heaven. Uh, and the opposite is hell, you know, in very intense suffering. I just wanted to know, do Buddhists believe in an eternal hell, as we are taught in the, you know, uh, in the Abrahamic traditions? Or um, is it only that, you know, hell is um, sort of, you know, a very long suffering which feels eternal, because Buddhists believe, uh, don't they, in reincarnation, so you have another chance to learn? Uh, or do Buddhists, do Buddhists believe that all beings will eventually, you know, reach nirvana? 
nyilvánul. Yes, um, <coughs> I mean there is a, in the list of various realm of existence that humans are reborn. Uh, the hell realm does exist, um, and uh, it's not eternal because nothing is eternal in terms of worlds. Because things are not eternal. From the Buddhist point of view, that which is timeless, you know, deathless, eternal, you could say, or doesn't have a sense of time in that way, you know. Uh, time, there's timelessness, we call it, yeah. So that will be more like a, more a, 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 a word you could use for Nibbana, is, you know, the immortal. But in terms of hell, uh, when you read uh, the, the Buddhist teachings, is people go, you know, it's like the result of action, the result of karma. So, like if somebody kills their parents, you know, you're, out, you're going to be there for a long time. You go to hell, and you're going to be there, you're going to be stationed there for quite a while. But you can move from one hell to another realm. You know, once you finish that, that hell, you, you can move to a higher realm, you know. So it's just a question of, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I've, I, I like Ajahn Chah's type of teach, style of teaching because, in a way, what he says, you know, don't worry about hell after you die. You know, uh, just notice, you know, are you in whether you're in hell right now? If you're miserable and you're attached to it and you become it, then you're in hell right now. You know, and heaven, like when you're happy, if you want to know what it's heaven and hell. You know. But nobody has been there, you know, you're still alive in the human realm. We're still in the human realm. That's one world, we are reborn, and that's a very precious realm, because in the human realm, you have a bit of everything, so you can, you're exposed, you know, not just being simply happy forever, kind of stringing the harp and so on, you know, but you can also experience the misery of, of a human mind, the mind, and the happiness of the mind, yeah? Mm-hmm. So you can move, you know, once it's finished, you can be reborn into another world, you know. There's about over 20 uh, divine, you know, world in the, in, in the Buddhist teaching. Many, that various div, sort of plane of existence of, um, you know, the happy deva realms, you know, the, the, the divine realms of existence. So you can read them in the, in the library. You have the hell realm, you have the hungry ghost realm, you have the animal realm, you have the human realm, and so on. I like the devas who looks, uh, who rejoice in the creation of others. We have also a realm of angels who re- rejoice in the creation of others. You should read them, it's kind of fun to read them. Then you have the ultimate Brahma realm, you know, but it's still a birth realm. What the Buddha is pointing is to the end of birth, and that is difficult for us humans who only knows birth, what it is, you know. This is what Nibbana is, birthless, deathless, beginningless, and so on. Make sense? Yeah?
Oh yeah, perfect. Ah, that's better. <laughs> that was really working well before. So yeah, my question's on boredom, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but probably many other people in the room too. But I think, especially, uh, let's just say, outside the monastery in the real world, if we want to call it that, even though it's all real world, uh, often we're, we're spoiled for choice. We can, we can eat whenever we want. We can go on technology. We can do whatever we like uh, to please our, our mind or entertain us because sometimes the mind wants to be entertained and it seems to always be seeking something. But often when it is seeking something and we want to not be bored, often, well, this is a tendency with me is I sometimes uh, overindulge to say it's food or I spend too much time on the internet because I don't want to return to that state of boredom. So how do you deal with boredom? What's the best way to deal with it? And I know there might be a deeper layer to the boredom of just dissatisfaction, but I don't know, I'm just posing that question to see what I can elicit out of you. <laughs> You're talking about my favorite topic. Well, it's not my favorite topic now, but uh, uh, boredom, yes, yes. I used to call myself an expert, the ex boredom expert. Three years of boredom with little breaks. <laughs> no, um, it's interesting. What I notice in the mind, it always regrets things it should have done. You think about it. You know, it's like it's like a, you're feeling like that. You know, you do something, and it's not perfect what you've done, and then you regret it straight away. And you know, the re the regret is a sort of the perception of a situation we could have been better. You know, like we have an ideal, what we should do. And we don't do it quite because we were a bit greedy, maybe, or maybe we were a bit reactive, you know. And then you regret it afterwards, not before, after. And boredom is an extraordinary state because that's probably the mental state that gets us reborn instantly, you know, into things. So we're very good as intellectually trained people. We're very good at describing all our kilesa and what it makes us do. But we're not great in to know, to realize that to actually deal with life, you need a lot of discipline. And until you have a discipline, it's very difficult to actually get a handle on these things. And I tell you, um, you know, for me, it's clearer and clearer. Even though I like the free-spirited type, you know, and this, I mean, I was part of this world for many years, you know. But at the same time, the, it's like the reality of this life really it's clearer and clearer how much discipline it takes just to live well. And so discipline in the amount of internet you have, you know, I mean, here the discipline is it's not easy, but we are reminded, we have reminders, let's say, and we have, like, we're confronted with limits, limitations, you know, on the physical level. So, um, again, it's, it's the same thing. You just need to, to have your own discipline no matter how many times you will see boredom makes you suffer like hell, it doesn't matter. You will forget the next day. Do you understand? If you're not disciplined, you will forget the next day. I know the mind pretty well, you know. And my mind is pretty ordinary and normally, you know, it has its own habit. You know, dealing with habits is quite ordinary. And so what you begin to see is that when... You know what? 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 I immediately saw myself quite quickly. I saw. I said to myself, Sundara, 
you don't you you need to look at the source of those states. Don't look at the objects, they are multitude of objects. But look at the source. I mean, I, I, it's just the way it happened to me. And so I didn't care what I was, what the object were, but I began to have great lessons about the, the nature of doubts, you know, and as a habit. I often tell the story when I saw doubts really as a kind of, uh, a total kind of condition reality that just comes, you know, comes uninvited, it goes uninvited, you know, so it's just something that's completely anatta. Completely not self, not yours, not mine, not this. It's a habit, blind habit. So um, that's what I mean. For blind habit, you need discipline. And to have discipline is good to have good friends around you who follow the same discipline. Do you understand? That's why it's easier for us to do it in a monastery, of course. It's a good fortune for us to be able to be monks and nuns because then we have a lot of support for this work. So this is why, in a way, the Buddha, uh, you know, it's very confusing nowadays because we have so many, it's so kind of mixed between the, the, the discipline of the monastery and the discipline of the lay world, you know. People get confused. They want to be monks, but they are lay, you know, or some people in the early days may want to be more lay, and but they were monk, you know, monks, so, you know, we wanted to open up things and maybe be more in a kind of lay style. And so, um, you know, once Ajahn Chah, when he went to America, visited one of his monks, ex-monks, because he disrobed by then, he said, oh, you know, when you were a monk, you were thinking like a layman, and now you are a layman, you think like a monk. So obviously, um, he had more skillful thinking, you know, more, more kind of maybe peaceful and easeful thinking. And, um, yeah, so, I, you know, my last realization about dealing with mental states like that, discipline. There's nothing else. Nothing else works. You try everything, it doesn't. The mind is forgetful. Forgetful. And this discipline has to be done. You know, I can say that now because discipline can conjure up a sense of hardness and a sense of misery. You know, discipline. Oh, God, you know, I have to do my cook my rice in a disciplined way, she said. I have to do my kitchen, I have to do this and that, I have to go deep discipline. Suddenly you think of the army, you know, or something that's not particularly appealing in terms of lifestyle. But it's, it's a, it's a, I have to be careful how to handle this discipline, you know. The disciplines come from knowing, from being able to be patient with failure. You understand? When you decide to do something, you have also to be prepared to not get it right and not hate yourself for it or beat yourself up. Create the second arrow, the third arrow, the fourth arrow, and sort of basically send you to the ground in a state of utter despair because you failed. So it's good to, to you know, the, for me the word discipline came very strongly because I've experimented a lot, you know, and I see that uh, the mind won't stop until you say no. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, you say no, and of course your backlash, maybe the yes comes with all its army and so on. But you have to say it because at some point your wisdom has understood so deeply the necessity to say no that you don't have choice anymore. It's like the in the balance, you know, 
The no is what's going to keep you going sanely, and the yes become redundant because you know that if you continue like this, it's not going to work. That makes sense? And I know I sympathize with what you say, you know, because even in a monastery, you know, I say I wish I would have parents, you know, for nuns. Nuns kind of thing you can stop, you know, <laughs> not to look at too many things or not to get all the information you want for whatever, you know, we have internet, we have, so um, it's not like you go on to things that's not uh, skillful, but still, you know, you, you yearn for a little simple life under the tree like we used to have at some point. I used to have in Thailand at some point. In a simple life. With all the, all the options you have. So it's not just you, you see. Okay. For the next one, you have to lift your hand for this nun to see you. Um, she didn't see I, you. No, it's okay. We have got one next time. When he finishes, reach your arms up. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it, it's a question about uh, letting go of hindrances, I guess. Um, L letting go of? Hindrances. Hindrances, in, yeah. in particular, worry, restlessness. And I guess my experience with worry is that there's, over the years I, I see there's many types of worries that you mentioned some things are dead, some habits are, habits are dead. and Something? Uh, you'd mentioned in your talk that some habits are dead, right? And those are easy to let go. Um, I, there's, my experience is that there's some worries or some hindrances, especially in my case related to work, that they have a payoff. You know, they're beneficial. And I wondered whether you'd had any experience or advice to give on, like for instance... Um, sometimes at work I find that I'm more conscientious because I'm worried about what a co-worker or what somebody else might think of something. So I spend extra time composing an email to be more conscientious. Sometimes the worry is a motivator to do things earlier than I would otherwise. And so I guess what I'm saying is I see enough of a payoff with that particular hindrance, especially as a householder having to earn, earn a living. If I somehow let go of that worry, there's a lot of work tasks that won't get done and I'll get fired, right? And so I guess I wonder whether in the monastic life, have you noticed worry related to have-tos in life, and how do you deal with that? Yeah. You remind me of the story. I must not lose the worry part, but you remind me of the story of a cartoons I saw, you know, from the French cartoonist. You know, it's quite, it was quite a long three, a few pages, you know, of a story of this big magnet. Magnet? You know, mania, we say in French who had a company and incredibly rich and so on. So he decided at some point he, he's going to turn his back to all that, you know, and him and his wife, they go to the countryside. It was a little de chevaux. I don't know if the de chevaux is like very student car, very famous in, in France many years ago, you know. And it's an emblem. It's a really special car, you know. It's like, it's like a, we, call, we used to call it a bicycle on wheels, you know. I mean, on, 
It's a, it's a car, like a bicycle almost, and it goes fast on going down and, and very slowly on up because it didn't have much of an engine. But anyway, so we get this car, go to a little cottage, land in the countryside, and then, you know, um, actually, oh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, the beginning of this story is not quite like that. It's two people talking to each other, and they're both homeless, and they're on a bench in the park, and they talk to each other, and so one of the homeless person tell him his story and so on. And then finally, the, the one who'd just been listening, he said, what about you? He said, oh, well, I went to decaf. I mean, reading it was more funny. <laughs> I, I turned to decaf, decaf coffee. And the whole business of interest for this thing, just, he just kind of, <laughs> became a homeless out of this. <laughs> so this is a bit your worry, isn't it? <laughs> well, I always say, we, we use different words, which is helpful. You concerns. Concerns is not in the category. Concerns is more a, 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 you know, a response rather than a reaction. You might be concerned. You have some concerns about what are you going to do and how you're going to do it, you know. And I can relate to your, um, to your doubt because my, one of the examples I gave often about doubts is that um, when I was in Anagarika, I've never been in an office. I hated this kind of thing, but I was asked if I could do the, doing the office work for a month, for months, about a month, when the, the person was away. So I decided to accept because, you know, that's what you do as a... As a monk or nun, you just go forward, you know. And then when I started writing letters, me French, you know, I mean, we don't speak the same language. So, um, you know, I knew English, but still, you know, kind of official letters and so on. So I did one letter and I read it and it went straight into the bin. And another letter, straight into the third letter, straight into the bin. Fourth letter, I said, I hope nobody's watching me. I'll be so embarrassed, you know. And then, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm kind of a bit clever, you know. I said, let's look at the first one. You know, I went back to the first one, and I was the best one, the best letter. But the doubts, was, that's when I saw, really, the anatta of doubts, do you understand? When I realized it just keeps popping in, it's like a, a push-button thing, you know. You don't want this, it, it stops you even to stop you to see reality. You know, you might have done something very good the first time, but because of the habit... You don't, you not have the confidence to actually say, this is fine, this is good. And so we use the word concern that help is not the worry. The worry really uh, is defined by the fact that you are, your mind is obsessed with worry. And worry is really, uh, it paralyzes your mind. It paralyzes your, the possibility of seeing more things, to seeing more things and seeing them more wisely. Because the concern is often uh, devoid of this intense feeling of fear and anxiety and so on, you know. Concern is just, you're quite cool, but there's some concern about this. You can see there's something that needs to be attended to do it properly. That makes sense? So, yeah, of course. Like people say, oh, why well, you don't, you know, let go of the past, you know. You know, the future hasn't come, now is a knowing, quoting Ajahn Sumedho. And so, but I yes, still have to go onto the internet to find out where my train is going, where my flight has gone, and so on, you know. 
So I have to plan ahead of, you know, ahead of time when I'm going to travel this way or that way. And, you know, all of us who are teaching around, you know, different countries and so on, we, we have to plan things. Or, you know, so in a monastery, we have masses of planning, masses of committees. You won't believe. You think this place is round. Oh, this is very nice. If you know the amount of work that this place is, you know, is asking from the community. It's enormous. Yes, as you're speaking, I realize one of my expectations is that you know, somehow that I, I, my emotions should be completely cool. Speak a bit closer. Um, I guess that I really appreciate the language of concern. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I realize my expectation is is that I be completely calm when I'm concerned. But that's just kind of my mind having expectations about the emotional part of concern. An emotional expectation often, you know. Mm. Or an emotional response to your worry. The worry starts creating stress and starts creating anxiety and starts creating hope that you won't fail and that kind of thing. A whole package comes with worry. Whereas... Concern is just like you're awake and you say, well, maybe there needs to be, you know, it's called vigilance. You can call it vigilance also, controlling mindfulness. You know, just be mindful. I'm very careful when I write my emails too. I might write them a couple of times, not write them tw twice, but just correct them, edit them, you know, as I go along, you know. So it's good. I think it's very good to do a good job. Thank you. As good as you can do it. Not perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's a personal question, if you don't mind me asking. Is that okay with you? So if it is okay with you, it's no problem. Okay. Um, you mentioned uh, that um, you didn't want to go into Buddhism and you didn't want to become a monk. A nun. A nun, even. <laughs> um, excuse me for that. It's all right. If you're in America, everybody is called monk. Okay, thank you. Just have American terminology. <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you. Um, would you be so kind to share with us um, your reasons for not wanting to do that? Oh, I just want to be, I didn't want to be defined by anything. Okay. It's just prejudices, really. I mean, it's like ego... It's a kind of ego trip, you know. You don't you don't want to be labelled, you know. So sooner I was okay because a nice name, and then uh, at some point one nun wanted us to be called sister. Oh God, I remember I hated it, you know, like the Christian nuns. And then when I was in Thailand, I was received a card saying that we were called Ajans now. I said, oh, no, another, another An type. Ajans. Ajans. Ajans Sundara now. Okay, thank you. After 10 years, we okay. have a title. Okay. We're supposed to know what we are doing and saying then. Oh, I see. By then. Mm -hmm. So, what was the other question? Um, really, just to share with you that um, I took on a spiritual name. And um, I did a I did um, uh, a course of which most people had taken their spiritual names, and I was the last person to take mine because I was happy with my birth name. Yeah. But um, and I suppose there was some yeah aspect to being labelled. 
at yeah. some point. So. Yeah, well, we, we were given a, a name, you know, Pali name. Yes, I was and given I a name. And I actually find it extremely... I mean, if it's been really difficult to one, I probably would have been resentful and upset for maybe years, you don't know. But, you know, like Tita, Tita Maja, Maja Pamatina or something, you know, whatever, I'm just making up a name. I said, God, you know. I would have been rebellious, just call me Ma. Mm. <laughs> or Tita, or something. But um, I found it very helpful because it's empty. You know, it resonates. I love the idea of emptying my mind, you know. I mean, not that I didn't like my mind full, you know, but I think I really got a sense of restfulness of the mind when it's not really busy. A sense of restfulness. You know, I was into health myself, so the idea of bringing good health to my mind was really appealing. Right. Do you Thank understand? You. To yes, have a, I do. Yes. To have a food that could help my mind. It was very repeated. Good food. The Dharma became like a good good resource and food. Because I used to be quite obsessed, you could say, with quote unquote, you know, with doing a good diet, organic stuff, naturopathic medicine, and so on. So. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. So, the Buddha's teaching seemed to cover most things for the mind, you know. Mm -hmm. It's really great, and the body, of course, yes. is affected by the, a, a mind that's more healthy. You know, yeah. Then eventually, once it, you know, one of the reasons I was like this—it's also just for you to know—is we are, you know, I was—I realized at some point this is my attachment to thoughts that put me, uh, make me think like that. Because when I'm not so attached to thinking, then who cares? Call me what you want, you know. I mean, after that, we have the respect of conventions, you know. So the, as each nun, we, we call it sister or anagarika an, anagarika, you know, and, and then we we respect the conventional reality, but we don't have to, you know, be frightened of it. Or... Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. I think it's five past four. Maybe we could just add on. Or is there any other questions? Don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> Do you have any question yourself? Okay. Are you embarrassed? You can ask questions, it's okay. Okay, well we can sit for a few minutes, yeah?